we got just a couple quick announcements that we need to go through. Um, July 19th, we're going to have a uh, potluck, whatever you want to call it, after service here. So just bring something, don't bring something. There's always tons and tons and tons of food. There's never short supply on food. It's something about Christian people. They get together. They like to eat. So if you don't bring anything, that's fine. Just come, hang out, invite somebody. You know, we'll have a good time. And as I said, we always have lots of food. So come hungry. And then one quick announcement that on your way out the building today you will notice a blue tub sitting out in the hallway that tub has cotton candy and it left over from the thing down at the park yesterday and i don't want my children to eat it all so thou shalt taketh content candy with you when you leave today help yourself take it home um, give it to your husband if you want if you're up for that kind of thing, it may not be a good idea. So anyway, and then don't forget about Wednesday nights. Uh, we have our Bible study on Wednesday nights. Um, always good, always good discussions and whatnot. So we definitely invite everybody to be out there for that. Uh, definitely good time. So just keep that in the back of your head. But with that, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. Every week we come together, we worship God through music. We worship God when we get into his word and then just learn more about him. And we worship with our giving the first fruits. And it's not out of compulsion. It's not like we have to. We don't have membership dues to be a part of this church. We have people that love God and want to give to him, to his work and what he's doing. And he is definitely doing something in this town. The last couple of weeks I've had the opportunity. Uh, I've been down at the park serving barbecue and whatnot. It's something about food that will make people talk to you and I have met a lot of people in this town and um, it's just been great and I just love seeing the conversations that I've been able to have outside of just these events and stuff like that um, I shared recently with you because of that I actually got to have a, almost a two-hour conversation with the gospel for somebody local here in town talking about barbecue is where it started and it's amazing how God will use anything when you dedicate it to him and so that excites me and so it's great that we have that and we got lots of things that we want to do the Lord's been putting some stuff on my heart I think that we can really I'll say bring this church to life in this town but which isn't the exact wording that I want to use but definitely do something because we don't want to draw people to Grace Church we want to draw people to Jesus Christ Amen. go to this church go to the, we don't care we want to draw people to Jesus Christ, and we know that we preach the Word here, and the Holy Spirit moves here and all of that, and so this is a good place to go as any. So we, we, I just know that God's going to do something big, um, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. You know, the one thing the Lord's continued to show me that this is a process, it is a marathon, it is not a sprint, and that He has put some stuff on my heart, and one of the things that is contrary to my personality is to take a lot of time and we're just going to build a really solid foundation and when I say that's contrary to my personality is that normally when I have an idea to do something I should have done it yesterday and so that's just kind of how I roll I want to get things done so we are if, if the reason we're taking so long to do some of this stuff is because that's what God said to do not because that's what Chris said to do so we're just following him but I thank you guys each and every week for you guys' faithfulness to give to the Lord and whatnot. It makes us be able to do the things that we do here, and God has definitely been faithful, and I know that you guys are blessed for it. So let's pray, and we'll receive our offering. Father, we thank you, as always, that we can come together and just, and just honor you with our presence here together corporately as iron sharpens iron. We come together jointly and corporately to worship you, Lord, and part of that is we do it with our giving, and we thank you for that. I thank you that you continue to meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory, not our ability, not our jobs, not our business, is Lord, but according to your riches and glory, Lord. And so we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, that all things are done through you and for you. And so we lift you up, continue to bless these people, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We've got the containers in the back there. If you want to stand up, greet one another, and we will dismiss the kids.
Father, we come before you and thank you that we're getting into your word. I ask you to just, Holy Spirit, bring it to life to us. Make it real. Make it practical. Make it a way that will change us, that we don't leave here the way we came, but we leave ready to go out and do your word, Lord. Not just be a part of it, not just read it, but to actually live it. And we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're in a series called Spiritual Warfare. I'll have it up on the screen for you if you didn't bring a Bible. We... Uh, started this series three weeks ago and so we're going to can kind of just dive in a little bit today um, we've got a lot more scripture that we're going to go through today as we begin to really process some of this stuff second corinthians chapter 10 starting at verse 1 says now i paul myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of christ who in presence am lowly among you but being absent and bold towards you but i beg you that when i am present i may not be bold that with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when the obedience is fulfilled. You know, this is kind of our keynote verse when we talk about spiritual warfare. 
in what this is. And, and there's a lot of things that spiritual warfare is that the church practices. And there's a lot of things that the spiritual warfare is not that the church practices. We've got it because what happens, what we tend to do is we overemphasize some things and we underemphasize other things. And so we create a man-made doctrine, so to speak, on what spiritual warfare is. And so what we're doing as we go through this is we're just going to let Scripture tell us exactly what it is. And verse 4 tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God. And that is what we're going to come to, but we're not going to spend our time there today. But what we need to know is if we just take that line that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that means that there is spiritual things going on that we need to be aware of and we need to pay attention to. And so in order to do that, we're going to lay a foundation. And we started this last week. And I told you that there are four questions that all believers must be able to answer in a biblical way. Not answer just from an opinion or because I heard this guy say it once, but from what the Bible says. The first one is who is God? And we spent the entire time last week, who is God according to the Bible? And a lot of times, if you just throw that out there, we instantly, it's like, well, that's an easy one. He's God. How do you describe God? And we got to go to is how did God describe who he is? Who did he tell us that he was? And if you didn't hear, the uh, MP3 will be up on the website this week. I promise we are way behind on that. Uh, part of that is the editing process takes forever sometimes. And so we will get these things caught up. But who is God? And so we need to answer that from a biblical view, uh, worldview. If you go out in the streets and you say, who is God? You're going to get a plethora of answers. Who knows what you get? Some will say the flying spaghetti monster, perhaps. And if you've never heard of that, that is a real thing. That people are marking down on it when it comes to jobs and who is, you know, your, your, your uh, religious standpoint. The second one is who am I in relationship to God? And that's what we're going to focus on today. The third one is how do I worship Him? And the fourth one is who is my enemy? And so who am I in relationship to God? And before we go too much further, I would encourage you to take those four questions and go home and begin examining what the Scriptures say. Find Scriptures backing this stuff up, answering these questions. So we looked last week at, at who is God and, and whatnot, but this week, who am I in relationship to Him? This is a crucial understanding that we must possess as a believer. We cannot walk an effective walk with the Lord without knowing this. We've got to know that who are we in relationship to God? Because if God is the creator of all things, and God will ultimately be the destroyer of the physical world, recreating everything, we didn't need to know where do we fall inside of all of this. And there is no way that I can do this complete justice in a single sermon. So this is going to require some homework from you to spend some time. But all I want to do is whet your appetite a little bit that we need to be students of the Word and go home and study the Scriptures. We need to do what Acts 17.11 tells us to do. Take in what is taught with all intention and go home and study the words to see if those things which were said are true. We do that for on our own. So let's turn over to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start at the beginning of man and God. We know 1 and 2 is talking about the creation account. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and then created everything in it. He filled it. But Genesis chapter 3 is where we see the fall of mankind. And I'm going to read the entire chapter, okay? Because I want you to catch the context of everything that's going on in this passage, okay? I don't want you to take my word for anything. I want you to take the word for everything. So Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has, had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let's stop there one second. Who is the serpent? 
Satan. How do we know? Look through Scripture. You see what I'm saying? The Bible has answers to all of these questions. Some people believe that this was a literal snake, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks. I personally do not. But we'll go on. But we know who this is because Scripture later on tells us. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and that they sewed fig leaves together, making, together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. When the Lord called to Adam and he said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave, ah, gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree. And I had always passing it off on the wife. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. There's her excuse. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go and, on, and you shall eat dust all the days of your lives. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then, he, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till, the return to the, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunic of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to, to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Whew, that was a mouthful. Genesis chapter 3. We don't spend enough time reading that. But here's the deal. This is where it all began. This is the fall of man. This is where we screwed it up. This is what's created the world we have today. Here is where sin entered into the world, and because of that comes death. That's what's led to sickness. That's what's led to poverty. That's what's led to all the things that we see in this world. Sin. Sin begins and has run rampant ever since. Thousands of years of prophecy and scripture stemmed out of this single solitary event. Man's relationship with God was perfect, could live in perfect harmony, and suddenly now there is a separation. How would you like to be Adam? How would you like to be the guy that screwed it up for everybody? 
You know, there are people in this world that will be part of a group and never want to make a decision because they don't want to be the one that messes stuff up. You ever been a part of that? I remember when I was in junior high playing on the basketball team, I was a special kind of awful when it came to basketball. I made bad kids look really good. As a matter of fact, between the two seasons that I played, I scored a total of three points. One of them was because I messed up an inbounds play and ended up underneath the hoop and nobody was covering me. So, because I couldn't remember where I was supposed to go. And the other one, I actually hit a free throw, and I'm still not sure how that happened. But two seasons, three points, I was not good. But I remember the coach getting ready, we were winning and all of that. And he said, Chris, I'm going to get you in. That way you have some time. I said, that's all right. You don't have to put me in. He's like, no, no, I want to get you in. I'm like, no, 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 we're winning. I don't want to screw that up. That was my attitude because I was pretty confident I could bring the team down a notch. But, but here we are. We see everything that has happened coming out of Genesis 3. Now let's turn over to Romans chapter 5. And let's see what the New Testament says in relationship to what this had. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Starting at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man centered into the world. Who's the one man? Adam. And death through sin. Here's why did death come? Through sin. And thus, death spread to all men because all sin. Do we see where we just come up with our doctrine of where did death come from? Through sin. The Bible tells us, verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him, being Christ, who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by... For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from the many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as, though, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Here's the antithesis to Genesis 3. See, what he's telling us is that because of what Adam did, sin has now reigned in the earth, and by, because of sin, death has reigned, and that is why we have separation from God, and we have no hope of eternity with God. But because Jesus came, which was a free gift, he's offered justification to all people. It is the complete opposite. It's flipped. Verse, 1 Corinthians 15 and 21 says, For since by man came death, by man also came the res resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Here we see it again. Just another passage just talking about the antithesis to Genesis 3. We see the beginning and we see it coming around in full spectrum. So when we look at this and we say, who am I in relationship to God? The first thing that we have to know is that we are reconciled to God. That's number one. We are reconciled to God. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there. How are we justified? By faith. By faith. Ephesians 2 tells us we're justified by faith, but it's through grace. 
or by grace and through faith. I should say that right. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man for, for uh, man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. Watch verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now received the reconciliation. We have been reconciled back to Christ because of what He did. So reconcile, what does that mean? The definition of the word reconcile means this, cause to coexist in harmony, make or show to be compatible. The one thing that we know about God is God cannot be in the presence of sin and sin cannot exist in the presence of God. God is perfect. God is holy. We are not holy. God is holy. According to some of the passages we just read, and dozens more, we are made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not the works and our ability to maintain His laws or, or being a good person, because none are good. All have fallen short of the glory of God. It's all because of Him. That's it. It's really that simple. If you remember back in December, I did a series, and, and one of the things that I wrote, I had my marker board out here, and I wrote the word do in one quarter and done in the other. And the religious system of today is a do system. If you want to be right with God, you must do this. You must go to church. You must uh, be baptized. You must uh, read this. You must give that. You must do all of this stuff. And that's the opposite of what Christ did, because Christ said, to be right with God, I've already done it. I've created the way. We've been reconciled to God. We know we still sin, and yet we're reconciled. It doesn't change. There's an argument that goes on in the church as whether a person can lose their salvation. And the problem is, is we never did anything to gain our salvation. It was a gift. Amen. If you can't do something good enough to gain it, how can you do something bad enough to lose it? But yet we want to do this. And it talks about the Holy Spirit sealing us until the day of redemption. And so if that is true, the other must not be. Because they can't both be right. The price was paid for those sins that we do. And because of our repentance and faith in Christ, we're able to coexist with God. He reconciled us to Himself. We coexist in harmony. We are now compatible with Him. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we need to understand of who we are in relationship to God is we are redeemed. The word redeemed means this, gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. 
Nothing in that said anything about your ability to be a good person. Now that doesn't give us a license to do whatever we want. But what it does is give us assurance in God's ability to save us from His wrath. Colossians chapter 1, I'll have you turn over to that one because we're going to read a big chunk of that. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 9. I'll give you just a second to get there. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with, with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and love, long-suffering with joy. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have what? Redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. You should see a pattern forming. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Christ. Verse 17, And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. In His sight, we have been redeemed. We have been reconciled back to God. Do you see a pattern forming? If you look at verse 22, and in the body of His flesh through death, talking about Christ dying to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Christ presents us that way when we repent and give our lives to Him, make Him our Lord and our Savior. You can't truly have one without the other. I know a lot of people have made Christ their Savior, but they've never made Him Lord. And truth be told, to be right with God, He must be both. It's not a matter of just praying some prayer. It's not a matter of going to church. Baptism has no effect. Baptism is simply a sign of the covenant that we cut with God. But here we are, holy, blameless, and above reproach in His sight. Not because of what we are able to do, but because of what He was able to do. The last one is we are His ambassadors. We are His ambassadors, and this is a big word. And we could literally do dozens of these things, okay? I picked three, because otherwise we'd be here all day and we spend four months talking about who we are in relationship with God. But we are His ambassador. An ambassador is a person who acts as a representative or promoter of a specified activity, group, or individual. We're acting on behalf of the one that we represent. 
2 Corinthians verse, or chapter 5. Turn over there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You guys catching all this? This making sense? Yeah. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16 says this. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Man, this chunk of scripture has so much going on if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old things have passed away and the new things have come but the key is is if if anyone's in christ it's not a free-for-all it's not we have to be in christ all things are of god who has reconciled us to himself through jesus christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now what is that? When Christ, when we become Christ followers, give our lives to Christ, He's our Lord and Savior, we're instantly now His ambassador. In other words, we are a representation of Jesus Christ to all the world. And the ministry of reconciliation demands that we go out and tell other people exactly what we've just done. That we tell them that there is forgiveness for sins. That you don't have to be lost. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to be dying. You don't have to not know what's going to happen. We can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We are His ambassadors. One of the things that many of us grew up, we learned the Ten Commandments, right? We learned them. In fact, some of you guys that are older remember they were, they were in schools and in courtrooms. And other things that are no longer acceptable. The reason for that is the foundation of our laws were created from the foundation of God's laws. And that's where, where thou shalt not murder. Where do you think that came from? Anyhow, one of those things is that we should not take the name of your Lord and God, Lord God in vain. So look at that, Exodus 20, verse 7. You don't have to turn there, I've got it up on the screen. You shall not take the name of your Lord, the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And there's a teaching that's gone around, and I don't disagree with this, is that we shouldn't use God's name in a cuss word, right? Or we shouldn't say it haphazardly. In other words, there is power behind the name of God, and we should treat it with respect. And those things are absolutely true. There's no question about it. I mean, there's a reason that you hear Jesus Christ used as a curse word, but you don't hear, you know, Allah or old Buddha or any of the others. There's a reason for that. But I don't feel that this verse is necessarily referring to that. Again, I'm not saying that that's wrong. That's okay. But I, 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 I think it takes it a step further. In other words, we are Christ's representative. When we give our lives to Christ, we have now taken on His name. 
Much like a wife would take on her husband's name when they get married. The two shall become one. She takes on the husband's name. And so she's no longer known by the old name. She's now known by this new covenant that she's just cut before God. Same thing. We act like him. We have his authority. We take his name. But what if we take that name in vain? In other words, we, we, we say that I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of him. But we don't live our lives in a way that show that. We're not being an ambassador of Him because if we're representative of Jesus Christ, there's only one way to do it, His way, not our way. This isn't a free-for-all and anything goes and we can just do whatever we want and call ourselves Christian. In this country, to be a Christian, you have to be born here. That's really all it takes because we have taken the Word of God and watered it down to something that is much more palatable. We uh, eat with a piece of cheese. Is that what you said this morning? You know, take that pill, piece of cheese. Some people like pudding. Some people, you know, whatever floats your boat. However you get it, just take it. We fill churches up with non-believers hoping that they will come to Christ. And the problem is, is that the Word of God truly should be offensive to somebody who is not a believer. The only one that can take the blinders off, open the light to them of the Word of what the truth is, is the Holy Spirit. Churches are full of programs and good things that we do. Hey, look how many people we had come to church. I don't care. I don't care. I, and I'm telling you the truth here, made this very mistake very young in ministry, very early on. Why? Because I was a product of my upbringing and teaching. We had a youth ministry. The youth ministry was very small when we started. It grew to very large. At different times, it had over 100 kids coming. It was very large. And so I thought, hey, look what we did. Look how great this is. This is fantastic. You know how many of those kids are walking with the Lord today? Not very many. And that is something that bothers me. It keeps me awake at night. Because I was doing, I was following the model. I was doing things. We were, we were reaching people. You know, I, I look at some of these ministries to Israel. And, 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 and I, I mean, we need to minister to Israel. We need to be a part of what God's doing with Israel. We need to support Israel. There's no question about it. These are God's elect, God's chosen people. He has a plan for them. But one of the largest ministries to Israel does not preach the gospel to the Jews. They're simply befriending them. Because they don't believe that they need to. That the Jews don't need the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they have a separate covenant which will make them right with God. And that's contrary to Scripture. And yet, there are millions of people in America that pour money into this ministry who while they're doing a good thing, they're not doing a God thing. They're not reaching these people with the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are ministries that do that. Chosen people who we had here uh, a few months ago, they're doing a great job. You know, Jews for Jesus is another one. But here we are. We take on the name of God. We cannot take that in vain. In other words, if I call myself a Christian, that means I am a Christ follower. It means I am saying that I am Christ-like. Therefore, I must do all things according to what He has said and do the best I can. And I know I'm going to fall. But you know what separates a Christ follower that falls and somebody who doesn't? Repentance. When I make a mistake, when I, if I hit my thumb with a hammer out there in a crowd of people and they hear a curse word fall out of my mouth, which better not happen, but if it did, I should step up. Guys, I am so sorry. I don't even know where that came from. You know, it's, it's got to be politics. It's upsetting me. This election stuff just messing with my head. You know, some, 
you know, we repent. We, we ask for forgiveness. We don't take it lightly that we are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We do not take his name in vain. We will not just kind of just go along for the ride. We are his followers. We are his ambassadors. One more passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 16. Flip over there real quick. Mark chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Which, how many times have you heard that going to church? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these shines shall follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What is this passage telling us? That if we believe, we give our lives to Christ. We, he's called us our, His ambassadors. That we will do, we can do anything that Christ did. Because of Him, through Christ. Not because of us. It's not about us. It's about Him. We are His representatives on this earth. We, we should stand out. There should be something different. Our marriages should look different. Our attitude in the workplace should be different. Our work ethic should be different. Our checkbook should be different. The way we act in a crowd should be different. There should be something different about us because our focus is always on Him and not on ourselves, or at least it should be. doesn't mean we get it right all the time. We're all selfish. We're all human. We still have to battle the flesh, and I'll give you a quick snippet until we talk about the spiritual warfare. We're getting to who is your enemy. You know who your biggest enemy is? It's not Satan. It is you. It is your mind. It is your will. It is your emotions. It is what we call the flesh. It's the biggest enemy that you have to overcome. No charge for that, I'll, I'll, but we'll get more into that here in a few weeks. We are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Him. We should look like Him. We should sound like Him. We should react like Him. And we should be living the life of the ministry of reconciliation, bringing all people to the gospel, to Jesus Christ. We should be going into all the world and preaching to every creature, not just going out into missions, but starting at home. And we don't do it. We don't do it, which means we are not being an ambassador of Christ because we're not doing what He said. Now, I know a lot of you guys in here, and I'm, I'm landing this plane, I promise. I know a lot of you in here probably heard dozens and dozens and dozens of, of different sermons about who we are in Christ and things like that. And most of what you'll hear is that you're the head and you're not the, the tail, or you're an overcomer, or you can do all things, or, or you can conquer your giants, or whatever else. I mean, there's, there's thousands of these things out there going on for whatever. And those are all very true statements. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is one problem with all of those statements and all of those sermons and everything like that. And it takes the attention off of Christ and puts it on us. That I am the head and not the tail. The part we're leaving out is I'm only that because my life belongs to Christ. That I'm an overcomer, I'm a conqueror, not because of my ability, all because of Christ. When, when God told Paul that my grace is sufficient for you, when Paul in Philippians 4 said that I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, America took it and said, hey, that's a sports deal. Had nothing to do with the fact that he was being tormented and punished, sitting in prison, beaten, all of this stuff. And he's like, I can do it all because of Jesus Christ, because he is my strength. 
When we take the attention off of Christ, off of God, and put it on ourselves, we're entering into the first sin that caused man to fall. That's pride. It's the source of pride. That's what caused Satan to fall from heaven. And again, we'll talk about this stuff in the coming weeks, but all of our attention, everything we do, should point to Him. And so here's what we're going to do. We're, we're just about done. I've got a worship song that we're, going to, we're just going to play, and we're just going to stand up. We're going to worship God one more time. And I want you to, as we're doing this, just ask the Holy Spirit, what, give me something here. What, what, take something from this sermon, something from the Scripture. Maybe, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me through this? And I'll be up here. If you need prayer for anything, then just come up during this time. But let's just stand up and let's worship God. Go ahead, Daniel.
Dressed in his righteousness alone Faultless stand before the throne right with you, that you have made it possible for us to stand faultless in front of you, before you, Lord. It's all about you. It's because of you that we live. It's because of you that we breathe. It's because of you that we can go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I thank you that that passion is inside all of us, Lord. That we will not succumb to the, the cares of this world, Lord, but that we will rise above. And that through all of that brings glory to your holy name, not to us. That we're not attention-starved people. That we're people that point to you with all that we have, with all that we do, with everything we do, we dedicate it to you, Lord. It's all about you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's not about that. It's about God. Amen? And so with that, I wish you guys have a good week. I'll dismiss you. You guys be blessed. And we'll see you all Wednesday night. Amen.